Hello, friends, both old and new. Uh, welcome to the Bikes or Death podcast. My name is Patrick, and I'm your host. This is a show that talks about bikepacking, adventuring, and the cool people who participate. And if you're not into that, well, you're probably on the wrong show. But if you are here for that, I'm excited to let you know that today we have Benjamin Johnson on the show. And if you're not familiar with Benjamin Johnson, you may have seen his film recently featured on bikepacking.com, Admissions of a Beginner Bikepacker. As soon as I saw the title, I got to be honest, I was hooked. So much of what we see now is the polished, perfect, the beautiful, but we don't see the knit and the grit and the grind that takes you to those places, that puts you in those places so that you can have those experiences, so you can take that picture or record that film or whatever it is. And the truth is, is that most of the people in this sport are, if we want to call it a sport, are new. They're still learning. And looking at some of these guys go and do amazing things like the Tour Divide or bike pack across uh, the Baja Divide or whatever it is, there's so many examples you can point to of people just doing absolutely remarkable things. But that's daunting. For somebody just getting into the sport, it can be daunting. Other people are like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. That's what I, you know, some people just bite off the whole elephant at once and that's cool too. But I don't think that's most people. I think most people are wanting to learn how to get into it. And, and I think showing some of the less professional, less polished sides of the sport are valuable. I think people can really connect and that will resonate with people. And that'll show that, you don't have to be an Uber athlete to go and do these trips. And they don't have to be amazing trips either. They can be little trips. Benjamin went to the extreme. He went to Peru for 12 days by himself. And I think he did that to show that it's possible. But the point is, is that you don't have to go to Peru. You can go to your local state park or national forest or wildlife management area or whatever, whatever it is that you have close to you. It could be whatever you get it. So I was immediately drawn to his film just based on the title alone, but the film itself was absolutely phenomenal. Um, it was very well shot and it was a nice mix between beautiful cinematography and visualizations and other big words. Like I know what I'm talking about. But it was mixed with the human side, the people that he met, the experiences that he had, both positive and negative. And that's what makes it real. And that's what makes it more appealing to me is that he didn't cut out all that stuff. He let us experience it, some of it, some of it with him. And so on this show, we dig deeper into that. We talk more about behind the scenes, you know, his getting into cycling and um, what kind of experience he had going into it and what those experiences were really like for him. And I think it was a really great conversation and I really applaud him for putting that kind of content out there. And very much, I, I relate to him. I, I think I'm a beginner bike packer and beginner podcaster, as I mentioned on the show. And, um, yeah, so I can relate to that. I, I'm not perfectly polished. I make mistakes. I stumble, I fall. You know, but I think the whole point of this is that you learn from those mistakes and you get better and you go back next time 
and you are better at whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, so yeah, great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Before we get to the show, I do want to mention one thing about the way it was recorded. So this was the first time that I've ever done a Skype call. Um, you probably know that I've been very reluctant to do, you know, over the phone, not in-person interviews. And I've been, there was one shortcoming and it's a big shortcoming of that problem. And that's that it alienates a lot of the globe. So for that reason, I've been really kicking around ways that I can get some of those stories from people across the pond or in other countries. And Ben was a perfect person to test out this idea that I had, which is we would Skype call so we can still see each other. And then he records good audio on his side. I record good audio on my side. He sends me the files. I merge them together. And then we have a, a complete, you know, file with good audio. And, uh, since he's into the, you know, he understands about audio and video and all that stuff. He was a perfect person to, to try this out on. And it worked really well. Um, I, I think we had a great conversation. I think the audio is good. Um, and I'm really happy with it. So I'm, I'm excited that going forward, I am going to now open it up to just about anybody. I, I really prefer to do, um, in-person interviews and that I, I believe will still be the main core of what I do. Um, but whenever it, it makes sense and I feel like it's appropriate, I'm definitely willing and open to doing some interviews um, over Skype that way. And so the only caveat is that I'd probably have to like mail them one of my microphones so that they can record good audio and then they send it back. But, you know, I think it's a small price to pay for for a good quality audio just for you because I care. I do. I care. And because I care, I want to tell you about how you can support the show. Did you know? that this show is 100% listener supported, listeners like you. And if you want to support this show too, all you have to do is go over to Patreon, type in Bikes or Death, and you'll find three lovely tiers that you can sign up and support the show. A $1 tier will get you a sticker, $5 gets you a patch and a sticker, and $10 gets you two patches and two stickers. I'm going to let that sink in. No, I... I'm being silly, but um, the truth is, is that that's those contributions mean everything. I mean, they are the only it, it's the only revenue I receive for the show. And so it, it takes a lot of time to produce the show. I absolutely love it. I get the chance to sit down across from amazing people and have wonderful conversations and share them with you. And I'm absolutely delighted that I'm in a position to be able to do that. But the fact is, it costs time. It costs money. And. If you really want to support the show and you believe in content like this and you want to keep helping it grow, uh, head on over to Patreon, show your love, and I appreciate it. I really do. If you can't head over to Patreon, or even if you head over to Patreon and you want to do something else, like, what else can I do, Patrick? I love this show. I want to support it. What can I do? We can go to iTunes. That's what you can do. You can go to iTunes and you leave a five-star review. That's the best one, five stars. And let people know. Let people know that uh, this is a show worth having. And uh, that helps other people find it. All right, people. I appreciate every one of you. No more from me, except for as soon as we get done with this short in intro, because I actually am going to be interviewing Ben. Yeah, so more from me, but on the other side of this, right about now.
All right. Today I'm sitting down with uh, Ben Johnson, who's the editor. Uh, you're everything in the film. <laughs> uh, that's just, it actually came out a little while ago, but it just hit like bikepacking.com. And that's where it kind of came on my right radar. So the film is called Admissions of an Amateur Bikepacker. And uh, this is going to be a perfect uh a perfect fit, I think, because I feel like I'm an amateur pod podcaster and we're trying something new. We're going to, we're doing the uh, Skype video chat today and he's recording audio on his side. I'm recording on my side and we're going to merge it and post. And I think like I've been really reluctant to do over the phone interviews because they're so impersonal and also the quality I've been concerned there, but, um, so I'm excited. We're, we're both kind of beginner bike packers, beginner <laughs> podcasters, and then trying out a new form of communication right here. So we're just kind of breaking molds everywhere. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. I think, I don't know when you first said, yeah, let's try to do the Skype call. Why not? And, uh, I think one thing for me, and I'm picky with these things is it's just the quality. So obvious, right. The change. Um, but right. in theory here, we're both recording on both ends with a decent audio recorder. So in theory, um, you should hear all my little little bits and good stuff. So I, I love it, man. And I, I totally agree with yeah. the, the the amateur side. But uh, I've, I've listened to a couple now on your end. And I, it doesn't feel amateur. It feels very genuine. And, and I think you're getting some great people on there with some great perspectives. So I appreciate what you guys are doing. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think genuine is is all I can do. I definitely thought about that, like, oh, what kind of personality do I want to have, and all that. But I, I just realized I can't fake it, right? I can't <laughs> fake it for hours upon hours and then podcast after podcast. So I'm like, well, I'm just gonna be me. I'm just gonna talk about bikes, and uh, yeah. So it's very genuine, you know. I mean, I, I enjoy it, and I guess that comes through. And so, mm -hmm. hooray! Yeah, it's pretty cool. But yeah, I pretty think cool experience for you where you know, and I, I think it was from my perspective in the film too, is that you haven't really experienced it. So naturally you're very curious about all the subjects, I would think. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think that's one thing that makes me a good candidate is not the experience that I have at podcasting or in bikepacking, but my inexperiences that yeah. make it to where I'm like fascinated by everything. Yeah. You know, I, there's so many people I'm going to talk to you. Obviously we'll talk today about Peru, never been to Peru. And so that's going to be a whole new experience, uh, to get to, you know, hear your side of the story and then share mm -hmm. it with other people. And it's just a great way to kind of grow the community, you know, from my end, you're obviously growing it on the, the filmmaking side mm -hmm. of it. Um, but we're all just co contributing to, you know, more content and getting people stoked to go out there and have these kinds of adventures and stuff. Heck yeah. That's a good goal to have. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, let's kind of start with, um, how you got into cycling. Um, I take it that you weren't a beginner cyclist, no. but you were a beginner bike packer. So maybe you could like lead us up to before this trip, how much cycling experience did you have? And then like, yeah, wh where did, where did the idea to like, okay, I'm going to go on a bike packing trip. I'm going to go to Peru and I'm going to film it. That was a big question, but <laughs> how far back do you want to go? I guess is the question, <laughs> uh, man, as far back as you, yeah, I mean, yeah, we got the time, uh, was cycling a big part of your, your childhood. And well, I think, I mean, progress from there. a pretty common story but i think you know i had two parents one that was a ncaa skier out of dartmouth in new hampshire um and then a dad who was uh of course a canadian hockey player 
and uh, grew up doing that and played pro in Germany for a few years. So there was always this kind of sense of athleticism and, and getting outside and getting the outdoors for myself and my two brothers. And that was always important to us. But we obviously, like many kids, took it for granted at the time. And, you know, I lived 40 minutes from the Rocky Mountains. There's so many incredible, epic things to do there. Um, and, uh, and where are, where are you based out of just for everybody listening? Yeah. So right now I'm kind of split in time actually between Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, Canada and Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada, which is about three and a half hour drive East or Northeast of Vancouver. And it's crazy. I mean, you're in Vancouver and you're lush greens, Pacific Northwest coast, and then you get into Kamloops, you kind of have the deserts, uh, more of a Utah kind of vibe. Um, so very different, even though you're not very far away. Um, I have family here, so that's a big part of the reason why I spent a good amount of time in Kamloops as well. Uh, but yeah, originally based out of Calgary, uh, we grew up just west of town. So we're closer to all the mountains are to the west of Calgary. And, um, yeah, I kind of got an experience in the mountains at a young age and was always stoked about that. And, but, you know, didn't fully understand what that could mean later on in life and ended up playing sports, lacrosse and hockey, the typical, like, I think if you had to think of the Canadian sports stereotype it would be someone who played lacrosse and hockey <laughs> so i grew up <laughs> playing that um yeah and then ended up in university ended up in vancouver um blew up my knee a couple times playing lacrosse and um pretty common story for cyclists you blow up your knees you end up cycling because you you can avoid going lateral movements and things like that that aren't so good on the legs so i got into cycling and met some people there i had a good friend that i was at university with in my design program that, uh, was really strong in the bike and he kind of showed me the ropes and brought me into a really cool community. And I connected with, uh, the guys at Musette Cafe. If you're ever in Vancouver, definitely check it out. Uh, ran by Thomas. Um, just an awesome, awesome cafe, the place that you'd expect that would always be showing the tours on at six in the morning. Um, and just full of all your cycling knickknacks and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I got into the community there um, really loved it. And it was actually one, my first film I ever made, um, on my own, uh, was of Thomas, the owner of this bike cafe and an iconic Vancouver climb called Cypress. Um, and the first lookout, the first switchback that you get to in this beautiful moment. And that was kind of the first film I made and was super, was it a cycling trip? Yeah, it was actually a just a specific moment in Vancouver. And we were just talking about this on a different call this morning. It was just this this idea of these iconic climbs in each place that you live. And one of it is Cypress mountain, which is one of the local mountains about maybe half an hour drive from downtown Vancouver. And, um, there's just a moment on the first switchback, uh, well, technically the second switchback that has this beautiful kind of look out to the, to the city. And, and we focused simply just on, on riding from the city to this specific moment and kind of built it up for that moment. It was only a two minutes long, but it was, kind of the kickstart of this thing where, you know, I got to work on my passion and, and sink into it and, and really enjoy it and talk to people I really enjoyed talking to. And, um, that was kind of the beginning of, of film on my own. Um, now I'm getting detracted, but, uh, that cycling experience for me, I got super into it, started filming it, started riding more. Um, and I think it's a pretty common thing, but I think for me, you know, Vancouver has endless places to explore, but, you know, you, you kind of see a good amount of it and you're wondering where does that road go? Or, you know, where does that logging mm -hmm. road go? Or where does that double, you know, that double track go? And, um, so for me, I think there was kind of that adventure spirit that wanted to, 
go a little bit further and kind of in tandem, I started noticing guys like Cass Gilbert, um, on Instagram, uh, it's his handles well out riding and same with Ryan Wilson, uh, at RM dub. If you don't follow them, definitely check them out. Um, just incredible way of, um, capturing a place and, and making you feel like you want to be there, you know, like just absolute travel stoke where you see it and you're like, wow, like that is incredible. I really want to go there. And they were doing a bunch of stuff in Peru and, uh, Cass Gilbert had just done a solo trip, um, up there in some high altitude stuff. And that I had seen that actually right before I left. But before that, I was really watching Ryan Wilson stuff and he had, he's been down there for must've been at least two years now or a year and a half, two years, uh, traveling solo for the most part from what I can tell. And, uh, he is, he rode a small part of the, the route that I rode and, that was kind of the beginning of it. I actually booked a ticket to go because there was a really good deal for, I think it was like 500 Canadian to get down there and back or 550 or something to get to Lima and back to Vancouver. And I jumped and bought one and I thought, oh, this is going to be awesome. And it didn't work out. I had another shoot and I had to cancel it. And so yeah. it was always kind of deep into my heart. And I, I, <laughs> I happened to actually have another shoot. Um, so our, our film production does... Uh, many other things beyond cycling as well. And we happened to have another shoot through some awesome people down there shooting some agricultural stuff. Um, so I happened to already be down there. And anytime I travel somewhere for work, I mean, it's it's an awesome opportunity to be able to go see a place and stay a little longer. Um, so yeah. that seemed like an obvious time to, you know, fortunately had a 10 or 12, two week gap to be able to jump out into the mountains and, that's kind of a few different ways how it started. And, and, uh, here we are, we have a film. Nice. Uh, I wanted to mention at the beginning of this, that for anyone who hasn't seen your film, I feel like it's been everywhere. You've got to be happy with like the publicity it's getting. Cause I feel like it's been shared. I I've just seen it pop up, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or bikepacking.com. I just see it keep popping up. Um, and it seems like, I was telling, um, some people that I was going to be interviewing you and every, you know, the people I talked to had already seen the film. Um, but so for anyone who hasn't seen the film, you should probably pause this podcast. It's like eight minutes long, right? Um, and go check it out. Um, and where do you recommend that people go see is Vimeo the best way to get to it? Yeah, I would say Vimeo. Yeah. Um, probably the best way you can get to it is go to, um, my Instagram at outside and seek. Um, that's O U T S I D E A N D S E E K. And then on the link up top, there is Vimeo, or if you just search Vimeo Johnson studios, um, it should be the first one up there as well. Yeah. Admissions of an amateur bike packer. Yeah. You got it. Okay. Um, um, yeah, yeah well, so when did the idea come for you mm. to actually do a bike packing trip? Like what was the idea for you? You wanted to go do a, a trip and then you were like, oh, well, I also film stuff, so I'll film it. Or was it much more of an intentional, I'm going to film it because of a, of a reason, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah. I think so. Uh, somewhere in the middle, I think, you know, we'll probably talk about this later, but I worked with, hmm, how do I describe this? I think in the film world, there are kind of 
a few different ways that you can create something. One could be documentary approach where you just arrive at a place and capture what you see and create something from it. Or you go in with a plan and a storyboard and a shot list and a specific story that you want to capture and you're kind of ticking off the boxes, so to speak. Um, Thank you for answering the question better than I could ask it. Yeah, that's that's what I'm... Yeah, yeah no, 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 no worries. What was your approach yeah. in that regard? Yeah, yeah, I think it's... I think it was somewhere in the middle. I, I think it was probably more on the earlier end. And we do do a lot of storyboarding and shot lists and, and concept development. And that's a big part of what we do. And But I think for this, I was so foreign to it that I wanted to kind of be open to, to experience... I wanted to... I knew it was going to change when I got there. I knew that when I got there, the story was going to change. I knew um, that things were going to be different than I thought. Um, so for this one, I kind of wanted it to leave it a little bit more open-ended. Um, but what I did try to do was prepare certain ways to capture myself or uh, more from the gear perspective on when these things happen that I don't know are going to happen, how to capture them hopefully the best way possible. Um, so I think that was a big part of the planning um, and for me, I kind of knew from the beginning. So when I first was inspired from Ryan and Cass and these different people to bikepack in Peru and had already had the, the flights booked and was going, um, I kind of, you know, is, am stubborn enough where I think, oh, I'll just go ride it on any bike and see what happens and hopefully it'll work out. Um, but I was, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, ah, that's, that's really kind of sketchy. I should really reach out to someone who knows what they're doing. So that's kind of where Morgan Taylor came in at Found in the Mountains. Um, awesome guy. He's been in the bike world for quite a long time and really has a really good knowledge on bikes in general and travel and um, and especially bike travel, bike packing, bike touring, um, bike camping, whatever you want to call it. And I, I think he um, he just like took me under my wing and and helped me out in huge ways. And, and uh, that was a big part of it and helped me with, I think, by having his help riding the right bike, having the right bags, these types of things allowed me and gave me the room to carry two cameras, to be able to bring my mm -hmm. drone, to be able to help me with the idea to film myself. Um, those things were paramount to allow me to capture what I did capture. I think at this point, I just want to, and I try to say this every time I show the film live, is, is you, you definitely don't need all these things to go do an overnighter or do a few nights on your bike. Heck, it could just be a backpack. Um, but yeah. for my specific reason to wanting to film it and wanting to do it the best I could, I felt like I needed to have the right gear and do it the right way. And in an isolation when you're solo, you need to bring the right thermarest to stay warm at night. You need to bring down booties. You need to bring certain things to, I don't want to say yeah. survival because I was out there, but maybe not as out there as you could be. But um yeah, you just, you want to be careful of what you're doing and, and hopefully know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that. I love that message. And that was one of the reasons, I think that's what I said when I first reached out to you on Instagram is like, I support the idea of making the sport more accessible to everybody. And the idea that you don't need all of the best gear or the exact right bike or whatever it is, like you really just need a bike and a passion and desire to go out and and, and have an adventure. Um, you do need to come into it with like some camping knowledge. Like you probably need to know how to start a fire. You need to know how to set up your tent. Um, that kind of stuff. I, I, I take that for granted cause I grew up doing all that stuff. And so it just, it's intuitive for me, but 
for people who haven't been camping, you, you need to understand that too. And I, I, I advise people to just practice like in their backyard, you know, like learn how to set up your tent, sleep outside in your backyard. And when I got into hammock camping, I did so much of that, like testing out different under quilts and top quilts and tarps. And cause I didn't know, yeah, how is it going to be in this temperature? Is it going to work in the rain? And so I'd go in the backyard and my neighbors, I'm sure thought I was crazy. I was sleeping outside <laughs> in my backyard more than I was inside. So like in, in that vein, what kind of like backpacking mm. camping type experience did you have prior to this trip? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've had a decent amount, I'd say I've worked with, well, I've been fortunate to have a really good friend of mine that I grew up with, played lacrosse with, somehow convinced him to come to the university I was at in Vancouver. And we both ended up in the film world all at the same time, but in different ways. And, um, he does huge, uh, back, uh, backpacking bow hunting trips. And, uh, he has taken me on a few of those to help him capture film and photography for those guys. And so it's just been, you know, two weeks in the middle of nowhere in the Northwest territories or somewhere in Mexico for a week where you have to carry all of your water and know how to make all your food. And if you're making your own coffee, you're making it yourself. And, um, I was fortunate to go on two or three of those before this trip. Um, but I think solo is a different perspective just in the sense that, you know, I was traveling with this guy that knew it so well that, uh, for me, I thought, well, I kind of want to challenge myself a little bit and make sure I know how to do these things myself. And, um, and push myself a little bit and prove to myself that I, I could do this on my own if I had to. And, um, so I think that was a big part of it, but I did have a, I would say a decent amount of experience, not a ton of trips, but pretty long trips, uh, long enough mm -hmm. to know what pain and suffering is and to know what it's like to live in the wilderness without anyone else for at least a week. I wanted to get a little bit more of your like history with like on the film side, cause you, you've referenced we like mm. you have, you have a company. Mm. Yeah, no, good point. So you, you, you went to the university, you got a degree in what, and then from there you started a film company or filled me in on your background in that regard a little bit. Totally. Of course. Um, high school, always super into creative world, started my own little t-shirt company. It was always kind of, you know, stoked on creating things and fortunately I had a mom who was super creative and talented and she, you know, like a good mom would encourage me to go for it and try different things and try to be creative. And, um, so I ended up in, uh, university of design program, which was very liberal and, and touched on all things, photography, a little bit of film, but mostly graphic design, web design, uh, uh, spatial design, even some architectural, just exposing you to all these different types of creative things. And uh, I didn't quite grab a hold on film right away. I ended up in the, well, actually the last year of our university, we had a really cool program where we did a field school with 11 other students in Italy. And you interview 16 uh, Italian designers and you learn about why they love what they do and how they do what they do. And when you go to Italy and you talk to anyone, they're all very, typically very passionate about what they do. Uh, especially designers. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a really cool process. We filmed all this, made a documentary out of it. Um, and it was super fun. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I loved the storytelling. I loved being able to take what someone said and, and create something beautiful from it. Um, so that was really kind of the beginning of maybe this film thing is for me. 
Um, but then I actually ended up in a startup for a year and a half, uh, designing, um, web experiences and apps and things like that. And from there had done a little bit of, of media creation for the startup. And then year and a half in, I just decided to, to go on my own. That was about five years ago now, which is crazy. Um, wow. yeah. And that kind of started that process of, of our film production and yeah, started small, still is small. I like it's, it's been pretty awesome to try to keep it as small as possible. And first couple of years was just myself. And then my wife joined me, um, a couple of years in. Um, so now she helps with many things in the business and she often has a better mind for projects that we're doing where we're really trying to figure out what audience we're talking to and, and, uh, and has a bit more of a marketing mind, which is helpful because sometimes I get so stuck in the creative and how we're going to shoot something and how something's going to be beautiful. Um, that she's a good right. reminder for how I do things. Um, <laughs> so she pushes us in big ways, um, and helps in other various ways. But, uh, and then we kind of have a, a collective, so to speak, that hasn't really been named, but, uh, the, you know, work with the same composer and, and, and sound guy, Curtis. So, um, for, and sent, sent, he was on the same trip with me in Italy and we have just trust each other so much. And, you know, you, you gain these, these, this kind of team of people, um, and we bring people in depending on the project, you know, so two weeks ago, we were filming something for a boot, a boot maker. And, uh, you know, we <laughs> needed certain skills to be able to pull that off and certain talent to pull right. that off. And we hire those people for a certain period of time. Um, and we just hire all these little freelancers to be able to, to do these things. And I, I love it. it just allows this crazy flexibility to be anywhere at any time. And, um, allows you to do some, some pretty, pretty cool things. So that's where we're at now, um, five years in and, and yeah, I think we do a mix of a lot of different film. We do cycling, we do trail running stuff. We do, um, we do actually a lot of agricultural farming stories, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I enjoy it. It's kind of fun being able to be exposed to all sorts of different people and different stories as opposed to just one oh, specific sure. niche. Um, so we've enjoyed that. And it's crazy. You talk to these Italian designers going back to that. And these guys are like making the, you know, paper clips for stationary. And in the meantime, they're like creating water bottles and they're, they're creating a vacuum. Like they're exposing themselves to all these different things. They're just going out and doing it and trying it. And I think it gives you a new perspective on, on other things like creating something for a bike world. Like, Oh, what if we tried this solution for, Mm -hmm. this farming thing that we did yeah. here. And, um, I kind of like that, you know, I, you can go either way. Some people would say like, you know, you need your 10,000 hours, just focus on this one, you know, uh, section mm -hmm. or this one sport and just do that really well. And I totally agree. That's a, another way to do it, but we love exposing ourselves to lots of different things and kind of keeps our, our mind. Yeah. Right. You don't get stuck in, yeah. in one way of doing things or one perspective or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I also wonder how much people resonate or how much like a storyline like yours about, um, a beginner bike packer resonates with people. Cause like, just from my perspective, I feel like, um, most of us are either looking to get into bikepacking or just early on, um, with our, our interest in bikepacking and our experience. And so like, you know, you see a lot of these guys, like you mentioned Cass, who's, I mean, what, and he's probably got his 10,000 plus hours, right? So oh, yeah. he goes out and does some amazing things, yeah. but you kind of feel like, okay, well, you need to be a Cass Gilbert to do mm -hmm. that. Well, you broke down that barrier mm -hmm. in a big way. Oh, thanks. And that's what's, that's what's so cool about 
your film to me is that you don't need the perfect gear and you don't need all the experience in the world um, to go and, and do something like that. So like, I've, and, and I guess the response you've gotten on your video is probably um, proof of concept that is it, it's really resonating with people. This idea of like, there's also a market for the beginner bike packer to go out and have an experience. Like it's not a space only for the experts to go out and create a video and create, uh, you know, great visual and uh, a great storyline and all that kind of stuff. But there's an opportunity for a guy like you to go out there and, mm. and yeah, show what you got, I guess, show how, how you handle out in the elements. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. I guess, I mean, so many things run into the mind as you're saying that, but, um, I think the first, caveat always to say is if you're doing something solo in the middle of nowhere, make sure you are prepared, make sure you do have all the right things to do that safely. Um, and I've been fortunate to have some experience, ba- uh, backpacking and those types of things. So just obviously be wary and be safe. Um, but totally, man, like I, I think, you know, I think of a couple of different things. One, we did a shorter trip. It was four days on Vancouver Island or five days. And, um, with two of my really good friends and you know we're at mech which is kind of like the rei of of canada and, and uh we're looking at thermarest and one of my really good buddies he's significantly better shape than us and trying to figure out how we can weigh him down and trying to find the heaviest <laughs> thermarest to put on his bike and he's looking at all the options right he's like why don't i just take this and it's like you know just that thin slice of foam you know, it's not even a thermarest. Mm-hmm. It's you know, he's like, oh, I'll just cut this in half. It'll be perfect. It'll fit me perfectly. It's the thing that goes underneath. The yeah, underneath rest, the thermarest like pad. And yeah. he tell you know he slept on it every night and he was fine. You know, and we just get so caught up in like needing yeah. the perfect thing sometimes. And I think the other example would be um, that was Brett Wakefield, if people are wondering. And uh, the other time was we did Haida Gwaii for a few weeks. Um, if you don't know Haida Gwaii, it used to be called the Queen Charlotte Islands on. It's an archipelago islands, like way Northwest British Columbia, kind of on the edge of the world of Canada. Um, if you ever get the chance to go, you need to go. It's one of a kind of kind of place. Um, and he, uh, so I went with two others, Adam uh, Foss and, and Frankie Foss, two awesome friends of mine that I do a lot of film stuff with as well. And we're like, man, what are you guys going to ride? Like, sh- how are we going to do this? We need to find some bikes for you. And, and like, wow, well, we got the tandem in the garage. Yeah, you know, we're like, and they, they've coined it. Betsy is the name for their tandem. And this thing's old. Like it's got 10, 15, 20 years on it. And, uh, sure enough, we, you know, take a look at it, go to the old secondhand parts store in Vancouver, our community bikes and find a little stem adapter to put some newer bars on it and make it work. And we did two weeks in Haida Gwaii and, and, got from A to B and had an awesome time doing it, you know, and this is like this old dusty old tandem. So definitely encourage people, you know, a lot of times the bike that's in your garage is the one that's going to be the first, uh, bike that you use on your first trip. Like just get out there and do it. Yeah. Yeah, As long as it it works. I, my first trip was on a uh, carbon, uh, road bike and it was on gravel, you know, and I had 28 C tubeless tires. And I mean, I was bouncing all around and I, I mean, but I, I had a great time, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the bike wasn't a limiting factor. It might not have been the perfect bike to go on the trip, but it got me out in the woods and had a, had a great trip. Heck yeah. So with the film, mm-hmm. uh, do you have like a favorite moment from it or are you just completely sick of 
seeing it. Like if you never saw it again, would it be totally fine? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think when you release something, it's almost most interesting to play it somewhere live and watch how people react to it. I think that's one thing that I, I am really interested in. Um, cause I'm really interested in when people fall off and when people aren't interested. Um, I think that's valuable information. Um, but I think for me, I mean, this edit kind of, I went a totally different direction in like the middle of last year and I didn't, I was like, ah, maybe this is working. And then I could, could tell people weren't really connecting with it. I had a good friend of mine, actually a cousin that's in Seattle that had worked with for five point festival for a while. And it's like, ah, man, like, I don't know if it's just quite connecting. And I was like, thank you for telling me, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Um, so I kind of rebuilt it and I don't know. I think shot wise, I, I probably the intro shot, it's a bit embarrassing. So I don't know if I want to admit it because it's kind of a, uh, a trick on it. Well, I guess I'll, I'll say it to spoiler, but, um, yeah. So like maybe 15 seconds in the film, I admit that I pooped my pants on day 12 <laughs> and, uh, and it's funny. Like, yeah. I think my, I still connect with that. And I have had so many conversations with people afterwards that said, Hey, thanks for putting that in the film because it, that was real. And I've also <laughs> pooped my pants too, you know, like, like, you know, I, I, like I don't need to know, but everyone's now telling me that they've also had the same experience. Oh, you're forever yeah. going to be the guy that people <laughs> yeah. tell their poop stories to now. Yeah. Did you think about that repercussion when you were putting it in there? Not really. Actually, I watched, um, I had already recorded it, but I watched, uh, Jay Ritchie does some really great bikepacking video stuff. Um, Jaybird Films is his handle, and um, yeah, it's funny how we just talk about like it's his handle, like you know, it's like his phone number now. It's crazy. I know, um, right? But uh, I have to reassociate people with their real names. I'm like, I, I know, know your Instagram. Know. Like, what's your real name? Feels yeah. weird saying. I just it. found out John Prawley is actually John Watson in real life. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah no, it's like I, I just know. thought his real name was John Prawley. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, Instagram. It's a whole another whole another conversation. But I think um, he. Uh, he had a moment in his film, El Silencio, um, from Peru as well. And they were talking about, uh, one of the characters that had a similar experience. And I don't know, like my goal, one of my big goals with, with, with the film was to try to show some of the ugly moments, because I think this is kind of an aside and, and, and a bigger conversation, but obviously within the Instagram world, and we see all these like perfect images of, of adventures and travel and, I've really been trying to trying to show some of the uglier moments. Um, you know, they could be shot well, but they're just ugly moments, you know, like things that didn't go right. well, th- times that you were struggling, times that you weren't enjoying it. You know, there were days that I did not want to be there. And there was other days where I really did want to be there. So I think that was important to me. And I think that came through in some level. And some people have, have responded that way. And I've been really gracious to hear that feedback because um that's really what i was trying to do um there's another production company a film company called duct tape and beer um they do some really cool things they have a podcast called safety third um they also talk about this just about you know the instagram life i think they also talk about like you didn't sleep here account and and different things like that on on how we're depicting ourselves online and you know, uh, do they do the, you do, do you don't sleep here? account? I don't know. I feel like they or talked about it on that episode on the one that talk, talk talks about authentic and what authentic means. And everyone has like this personal brand. Right. Um, and that, that was really interesting. I kind of watched that after I edited the film, but I think 
this idea that I think the more interesting stories moving forward are going to be the ones that show like the ugly stuff. And I think we're tuning out to the perfect polished thing nowadays. I mean, from what I've experienced, even just from things that I've shared, like I will spend some time to make a beautiful looking one minute montage. And then the next week I'll share a little, you know, 15 second thing with natural sound of two people biking in an interesting place. And it, and people seem to engage with that more, which is cool. It's only anecdotal, but I feel like there is a, a a craving for something that's real, Mm. you know, something that people can connect to. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, just to kind of echo what you were saying, I think your film does that very well. Like it shows, it shows you some of the real moments, the hard moments of bikepacking, and those are always going to be there. I don't care how experienced you are, you know, perfect trips are hard to come by where nothing goes wrong or, or whatever. But on the flip side, you get, you know, I, I actually your per your film is a perfect example. Mm. So I think you show that clip of the hail you riding through the mm. hail. And then after that, you show the clip of morning of day two, mm when you, uh, the, you're like above the clouds. Yeah. And so it, it was a good like juxtapose mm. of like how harsh and how terrible and how shitty it could be, mm. but also how beautiful and serene mm-hmm. and, and beautiful again, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it can be, mm-hmm. uh, actually, if you could talk about both of those shots, like mm-hmm. the hail shot, what did you do that just because it's a cool, cool shot or why not set up a tent? It, when it was hailing? Yeah. Um, well, it's tough to know. Like on, in Peru, I think, I don't know. I'm trying to, how do I answer this as honestly as possible? Because I think, I think you try to capture something ugly, but then, you know, I think there's a part of me, which is kind of like a sick thing really in a way. It's like, <laughs> It's like, you know, I'm just going to ride through this because it's going to be a crazy shot, you know? <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. and I, I probably could have set up my tent, but I don't, I don't know. I think I was like, ah, like I've got hailed on so many times. I want to show this, you know? Um, okay. And it, so that was a common occurrence? Yeah. Oh, it was a common occurrence. Yeah. In Peru, I'm not sure exactly if it was the season I was there, but I know people that, that have ridden there can definitely relate is that um, often what will happen especially in the time I was there was in the morning is usually sunny and nice. And then in the afternoon, usually getting, getting hailed on or rained on or even snowed on, depending on your elevation. So it's good in the sense that you can plan around it. But for me, one thing that happened to me is I was adjusting to altitude and things were taking forever. It already takes long enough sometimes to pack yourself up in the morning by yourself. And I just kept pushing and pushing further, further into that afternoon window because I also had to get so far each day to make my lap work. And, um, I just, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I could have set it up and I was like, ah. and there's also that kind of idea that think, oh, maybe it'll go by me or won't hit that hard. And that one just hammered me. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> that was a great shot. Yeah. Though. And it's at Hills. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's predictable, but I still found a way to somehow end up in it. And, you know, there's a couple of times where I just like ran and, and found shelter under a little cliff, but there were times where I definitely mm-hmm. got hammered and was setting up my tent Just got pounded. when it was raining or, or hailing and, and was miserable for those evenings or whatever. Um, so yeah, that, that, that shot was, it's one of my favorites, I think now, because it just shows those are those from the film perspective, those are really hard to capture anytime it's raining, anytime it's snowing, 
anytime you have to set up some type of special mount to capture something, there's just so many variables that you have to have to go right to get something like that. And you're putting your body at risk because you're out in the middle of nowhere by yourself. Um, So that's why I feel like it's kind of a senile, crazy thing to do in that way, because it's not what you should be doing in that moment. (laughs) Because before I'm setting it up and after I'm taking it down, it's still hailing. I'm still getting my camera soaked and um oh you about, are oh yeah i mean you got like a little rain yeah so how do you there. record in the hell is it like covered in plastic or something like, i just put like a rain bag on it it that <laughs> my cameras if you look at them they no one would buy them <laughs> they're just like <laughs> I, I i don't know i'm a big believer of i mean just my style anyways i'm not a studio photographer i'm out there you know my camera's taking a few tumbles i was just out two nights ago riding on the north side of Cambridge lake awesome spot but i have a terrible habit of shooting while i'm riding and this road wasn't good for that and i went for it and just crumbled my camera right into the turf um so that happens i mean if oh, you want to use it and capture some of that then that stuff's going to happen um right. and you're gonna your gear is definitely gonna take a hit and it, it's amazing it does last i think just as long it's just the cosmetic side of it is not pretty that's <laughs> impressive how much, how much of a pain in the ass is it to film that on a bike pack? Cause I know, I mean, bike packing, like you said, is, is hard. Just, you know, setting up, taking down, cooking. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're doing all those things mm-hmm. every, you know, your hydration, your cooking, like your food, everything mm-hmm. you're having to do all that. And then on top of that, you're having to film it. Like, it seems like a big pain in the ass. It really is. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, it totally is like, you know, the traditional sense. I mean, what I always think is like the survivor man. And, um, was that a show in the States? I know it was in Canada survivor man. Yeah. yeah. Oh when, yeah. Um, Where it's self filmed. Yeah. Self no crew. Yeah. Did every, yeah. That's another one you can think about. You're like, dude, that, I mean, I guess the money's worth it. Yeah. To do, Just it crazy. Like though. I think you got it. You got to have maybe a little bit of a screw loose, but, um, or just like really be passionate about what you're doing. And I think that was kind of not the beginning, but the, the, I think the statement to a wider public, like, okay, I'm going to set this camera up. I'm going to go walk, do this thing, come back. Or in the bikepacking perspective, I see a beautiful switchback, you know, a mile down the road or half, you know, a quarter mile down the road. I'm going to go around that turn, come back. Like, you kidding me? Like there's so much work involved to do that. And fortunately I didn't have to do that. I did that maybe three times. Um, and all those shots are in the film, which is great. But, uh, you know, the technology of drones is amazing that they can just follow you or sometimes try to follow you, but they are amazing that you can capture some of that stuff on the go. Um, and then just trying to get creative on other ways of filming yourself because, um, doing that back and forth is, is an awesome way to do it and and a way to do it. But I think if you can push it a little bit further, you end up with something a little bit more unique, I guess. And, and something that, uh, is just different. Yeah. So, while we're on the topic, one of my Patreons, uh, Kyle, mm. he asked, you know, about the equipment that you used mm-hmm. and also like your drone. Yeah. So maybe you could talk about, I'm really ignorant with all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff, but I'm sure people out there could really benefit from knowing like, like the mechanics and sure. the actual equipment that you use to capture this film. Yeah. So hmm, where do I start? I think, <laughs> yeah. So I'll go into that a little bit. I think one thing I just wanted to say on the last point which is relevant to this oh sure is just um i think from the film world people 
really want to try to get the best camera and shoot the best thing. Um, a thing like a smartphone is still super handy. Um, I did use it a lot. I mean, there's probably 10 shots in the film with an iPhone. Um, really? yeah, there's different ways to shoot with an iPhone, but I, I honestly didn't, you know, I had this whole plan. There's a certain app that shoots, uh, that shoots, uh, so like when you have a camera, you just have portrait mode, landscape mode, all these things. And when you shoot in those modes, what ends up happening is you don't have a flat image. You have something where the blacks are really black and the skies are really white. They, they call it crushed on either end. Um, when you, when you use a professional camera, you can use settings that shoot it more flat. So your skies look a little more gray and your blacks look don't quite all the way black. And the reason why you do that. Is that HDR? Yeah, almost like, yeah, HDR. Well, HDR actually captures, uh, captures several images and combines like them multiple. together. Um, okay. but, uh, from what I know, but I know that when you shoot a flatter shot, um, what ends up happening, if you imagine a histogram, so you imagine a bell curve, if you shoot something on landscape mode, the data spans the entire width of that graph. But if you shoot in a flatter, uh, profile or flatter mode on your camera, that graph is kind of pushed into the middle. And what that means is when you get it into your software later, you can stretch it out more as much as you want. But if it's already stretched out the full width of the graph, you can't do anything with it. You can't save it or bring it back really. That's right. that's super technical. If you want to learn more about that, look up picture profiles, log, uh, cine yeah, that's what YouTube profiles. Is for. Yeah, that's, that's a whole nother <laughs> perspective, probably going too deep. Um, but yeah, the iPhone has certain ways that allow you to capture things that look for lack of a better word, more cinematic. I don't always love using that word, but that's kind of the, you can push the iPhone in interesting ways, but I didn't even end up using that. Like I just think in an eye, the iPhone is so powerful in the sense that I want to show how ugly this moment is. I'm exhausted. If I take 30 seconds to set up my Sony mirrorless camera, this moment's over. And the only way to get that is with my phone. You know, I think it's like on a right. spectrum if you had to look at it, sorry to go back to a graph, but you know, that kind of sense of like how engaging is the moment and how beautiful is the moment or how beautifully is it captured and how engaging it is. You know, those mm -hmm. are two, two ranges, two axes. And I think if you're high enough on engagement, it can be shot terribly, you know, and if it's um, very beautiful, it could just be a static scene of the landscape. Um, what is that one YouTube guy, Ian or, uh, I don't know. What's his last I mean, name? It's like his name is it's I O H A N. And then I'm not even going to try the last name. It's like Ian Eon. Okay. Maybe uh, I see it. he's got 62,000 followers on YouTube. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, he's, he's like gotten better as he's gone yeah. along, but he's a great example of somebody who, uh, just put really good content yeah. out there. Yeah. And so I, I guess that's, yeah, probably pretty smart of you to, to like hone in on that. Mm. Cause like all the B roll shots, when mm. you're getting the switchbacks and the drone shots, they set a very, I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about, but they kind of, they, they put you, okay, this is where you are. Mm. This is the environment you're in. And then the other ones allow you to connect with like the emotions that you're going through at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, yeah, yeah totally. No, I think that's, I think you're bang on, man. I think, I think. I'm a believer right now of this idea that, and I'm really curious to see how it grows and changes, but kind of relevant to an earlier point was just that, can you balance these two things, you know, these beautiful, if you want to call it cinematic shots of 
a landscape or drone shots or, you know, moments in that sense. But then can you balance that with like iPhone shots, you know? And I think you can, I think, you know, uh, I think it's, I think an, it, some people might say you're like bringing the audience out of it when you go to an iPhone shot because you're not capturing it in the same way. And they might know that there's someone behind the scenes editing this thing, obviously, because it's all about like trying to keep them engaged. Um, but I think there's a super cool balance there. And I think people care more about being engaged in the story overall versus some of the technical things. And I mean, there, there's so many different ways to slice this. I remember there's a guy online, um, I don't want to call him a YouTuber, but he's done a lot of broadcasts and stuff as well. But he does a lot of camera reviews and is really talented, has a really good eye. His name's Philip Bloom. And uh, I remember he shared someone's time-lapse video. So it was all time-lapses and he shared a beautiful one on his blog and someone had commented saying like, oh, I'm getting really tired of these like time-lapse videos. It's all the same, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, oh yeah, this is interesting. It's all the same. And then Philip came back and said, you know, there's still room to have just a beautiful looking video or film. Like there's still room for that, you know, like planet earth is beautiful, you know, like that. And that's awesome. I want to watch that, you know, and now there, you know, but there's also these other ways of doing things. And if it's like a storytelling and a personal journey, you know, heck, if I had a red camera right in front of me shooting my exhausting moments, like, great, you know, well, you know, I'd probably feel different. It's not solo anymore. But I think if you were on like a group ride and it felt the same to have that camera in a different than an iPhone, then yeah, I'd choose that, I guess. Yeah. So I used a mix of things, um, of course. So how did I start? The drone was a Mavic Pro. Um, Mavics are really awesome because they're really small uh, for a drone. Uh, there's all the Phantom cameras from DJI as well, but the Phantom, uh, the Maverick allows you to fold all the legs and store them in your bag fairly neatly. It's not a small item to go on a bikepacking trip on. Um, but yeah, where'd you carry that? Um, so I had a uh, walled 137 basket on top of a pizza rack and I had the outer shell basket bag on there. And the good thing about the basket bag is just a square and I'm from the film world. And anytime you have like a square shape, it's super nice because then you can plan and, you know, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, uh, space plan your, where your gear is going to go. Um, so you can divide all these things into certain areas. So I had a, a certain divider and that's where the drone and the, and the drone remote went. And then, you know, I'd had different sections. Um, I've experimented, experimented with how to store gear more and more uh, recently. I think on our bikepacking high to Gwai, uh Right up there is a the bikepacking.com how to go right up there is a little bit on that on how to put your stuff in there at least a photo of what I've been trying to do it's kind of been a never ending process the biggest challenge is if you're shooting sure. in a place that ha that could rain or you need waterproofing that's one challenge I haven't really I don't know if anyone's really solved that I could be wrong of having a waterproof uh, bag, but able to very easily access it because a lot of times what we're seeing now, which is awesome, is these roll top bags that are waterproof. Um, Porcelain Rocket makes some incredible ones. Uh, like if you think of their 52 hertz frame bag and their new Nigel and things like this, um, but you also still want to be able to access it quickly too. Um, so I think that's kind of the dream. Um, so basically, what I'm getting at is the bag, the front bag that I had. I was worried about it getting wet. So I actually had a the square shape and then I had a dry bag lined inside of it. Uh, 
um, to try to keep things dry. But what ends up happening there is you can't put your dividers in and stick them to the sides. So everything's kind of ends right. up floating around a little bit. Um, but it still, you know, it still worked well. And um, so I had a Mavic Pro in there and the remote that goes with that. Um, and then I had two Sony bodies. One was an A7R2, which is a full frame body with a 20 millimeter vintage Nikkor lens. It was going to be a Sony 28, but that blew up everywhere the week before. Um, <laughs> and I'm glad I used the 20 actually. Um, and then partly that's because when you're shooting back on yourself, I needed even wider than a 20 to see my entire fr- entire myself entirely in the frame. Um, and then I used an A6300, which is a crop frame. Um, uh, basically, sorry, a full frame is, a 35 millimeter equivalent. So you have a bigger, I'm not going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. I don't always know exactly what that means, but more from the film world where that is the size that they would use. Um, and it, when you go into crop, it's actually, it's not that full size of an image. So it actually crops your image by 1.35, let's say. Um, and then you also lose a little bit of that shallow depth of field. So if I'm shooting a portrait of someone, the background isn't going to be quite as blurry as if you were shooting with a full frame. Um, those are technical things, but it seems like this is a technical question. Um, there, then I used an 85 millimeter Sony 1.8 lens. Um, uh, more telephoto lens is just kind of nice to see those kind of roads in the distance. Um, and one of my favorite photos is rounding a corner at sunset and you know, be able to, when you shoot with a telephoto lens, you can actually, you can just bring your background closer in a little bit to feel Mm -hmm. the scale a little bit more. Um, so that's why those bigger lenses are handy. Um, people might wonder why I shot with two primes. Uh, so a a 20 millimeter and 85 are prime lenses. They can't zoom. Um, partly I did that because of low light, um, because I didn't have a ton of light. I wanted to be able to try to shoot my tent and shoot late at night. Um, and then I had two bodies, so I thought I'd just keep both lenses on those two bodies at all times for the most part. Um, yeah. So it wasn't a too bad of a solution, I think, in the end. And then beyond that, I mean, a small tripod. I had a small Coleman tripod. A lot of people ask me that, what kind of tripod. Small portable tripods are pretty handy. Um, this is C-U-L-L-M-A-N Nano Max. I don't even know if they make them anymore. Um, but some people really like them because they don't have the twisty lock legs. Um, so they don't come loose over time. Um, and then I used a bunch of, you know, usually when you're filming, you're trying to shoot at a certain exposure. And so you bring all these filters and things to allow you to get the best image you can and to get the best motion you can. And, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, there's so many little things that I bring, but I think those are kind of the bigger rocks. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I know about like, 5% 5% of the things that you just said, <laughs> yeah. but I think that there's Sorry. some people out there who like legitimately, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of photographers and filmmakers, um, who are probably a lot more, uh, uh, knowledgeable about that kind of stuff than I am. But sure. yeah, I think I, I wanted to put that out there and we mm-hmm. had that question on Patreon, yeah. uh, from one of, one of the people that support the show. So I want to make sure we get that information out yeah. there back into like my realm of semi knowledge let's talk about your Mm -hmm. bike and what gear, I mean, you talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. your bags that you had on your bike, but what bike were you riding and what tires and what was your like sleep setup and all that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let me just, I'm going to have a a caveat before it. 
is when you create a film called Amateur Bikepacker, it usually it means that I don't know all the little details about all the bikes. Um, <laughs> I, I wish I did. Um, I don't either. Yeah, yeah. so I'm just trying to, trying to find the specific note about what I had. Someone on wrote it down for you on a piece of paper. <laughs> no, I know most of it. I think there's just little things that I'm just, kidding. or I don't know it well enough. Um, let me just pull this up. No, this is perfect. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you knew all the answers, you might be blowing your cover on being an amateur. So, yeah, no, I think, um, I mean, to say again, Morgan Taylor at Found in the Mountains really helped here because I really didn't know what I was doing. Hadn't done a ton of gravel stuff. Uh, is that a bike shop? Found in the Mountains? Yeah. Is that a bike no, shop? No. So Found in the Mountains is a account on Instagram. Well, it's not necessarily just an account. Um, how would I describe Found in the Mountains? So it's started by Morgan and Stephanie Taylor. They are both in Vancouver, uh, living in North Van. Um they are very passionate about getting people on bikes and, and camping on bikes, especially for the first time. Um, so if you want to learn more about that, definitely check them out. And they partner a lot with Swift. Um, not necessarily partner, but they're, they're good buds with Swift as well. Um, mm-hmm. And Swift Industries, they are also very passionate about it and do the Swift camp out every year on the solstice in June. Um, and have a very similar mission about getting yes. people on bikes and camping on bikes and and proving that it's not very difficult to do. Um, so they are, I don't want to say a club necessarily, but they are a identity that believes in those things. And they do a coffee ride every Friday morning in Vancouver. And basically what I'm saying is they know a lot about bikes and they care a lot about the community. Um, right. And so, yeah, they, I talked So they to just helped you for the benefit of you yeah. and have it, help, helping you on your experience, get some yep. good knowledge going into this Exactly. Trip. They kind of gave me a quick okay. bikepacking 101. Um, Morgan happened to have a few bags in his kind of gear library, so to speak. Um, and he allowed me to borrow so many things. You know, he allowed me to borrow the front panniers I used in the front bar bag and um, many other things. So I, I think there's their or the outer shell front bag and i can't thank those guys enough so yeah he really helped that and the kona um i think from the bike build perspective i guess i'll talk about the things at least on the front end that i thought were really important um one thing you need to think about bikepacking in peru is you're just you're just climbing really 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 steep terrain um so i actually went with a a 28 front ring for my chain ring and I, I could even maybe use a 26. Like it's just so steep and I was carrying like a hundred pounds of stuff, you know, including the bike. So, yeah. um, it was an insane amount of stuff to try to carry. And, you know, I, I pushed the bike a lot, definitely. Um, so definitely think about the chain ring on the front end and it was a single at the front and then a 10 to 42 on the cassette on the back, I think. Um, yeah. And then it was a Kona Sutra. LTD, I think this was the 2017 or 2018, um, which worked. What kind of bike is that? Is that like a gravel type bike or a drop? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a drop gravel. Um, it tours pretty well though, from, from what I experienced and, uh, from the way that they market it and share it. And, um, you know, it's not your, it's not your carbon lightest gravel bike that you go rip around town in, you know, you can definitely get out there and, and go deep on it um, from my perspective. And I would never pretend like I know the perfect answer for that. Um, but uh, 
Yeah. So I, I, I it worked out really well for me. Um, trying to think of what else we did. I mean, we worked with Porcelain Rocket as well, which is super helpful. Um, and their, you know, their CPAC is just so, so helpful in the sense that you can load that thing up and it's attached to your C post and it's not going to go anywhere. Um, that's a pretty huge innovation. They, they really nailed that. Um, trying to think of what else is on here, but yeah, so many. What about on your, uh, your, the camping side and cooking, what'd you do for food? Yeah. So for food, um, I did a bit of a mix, but I definitely took in my backpacking experience for better or for worse. There are probably other ways I could have done it. Um, but I brought, I think I brought like eight freeze dry meals, um, from various different vendors, um, to use. I probably only used four or five just because there are in Peru, you do end up rolling through a decent amount of villages and usually you can find some markets to at least ground some things together. Um, I believe when I've watched some of Jay's and Cass's stuff, they seem to usually be able to find quinoa or like things like that in little markets. Um, so I think there's probably a better way to do that, to be honest, in the way I did it, but I did it in a way that I knew I'd be able to survive. Um, and then, you know, I brought an assortment of bars and things. And, um, these days I like kind bars. So I rocked a lot of those, um, brought just a lot of shot blocks and things like that, because I think those things are really important for me because my calves just start to blow up everywhere if I'm not getting electrolytes in. Um, so I definitely mm-hmm. rock that stuff. Um, water i ran a three liter water bladder i almost wish i had a four to be honest even though that probably wouldn't fit in my partial frame bag but when you're at camp and you just want to load up on some water uh, a four liter would be helpful especially in peru you should not if you're planning on going do not just drink water out of the river definitely filter it or purification tabs or anything to make that water cleaner um and uh yeah so i rocked a three liter bladder and brought a little sawyer mini water filter, tiny little filter. That's like 15 bucks on Amazon. Oh, those are great. Yeah. They're super, super easy and helpful. And you know, if you can find a tree anywhere, you can put it upside down and let it trickle while you're setting up your camp. And, um, yeah, that's kind of the main things I did for water and food. And obviously just realize how much weight water is going to be in Peru. I mean, you're, you're going to need a few liters up to three to five liters to, you know, do a couple nights of camp. And that's heavy, you know, whatever it is, a few pounds per, per liter, you know, it's, it's, it, it weighs you down. Yeah. That's a, that's a weight penalty. I don't mind taking. I never want yeah. to run out of water yeah. personally. That's like one of my biggest fears. I know. It's like, I kind of don't even count it as my weight total, but I was like, ah, did I, was it about a hundred pounds? Everything included It's like probably, it was like, oh, well with water definitely was. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't ask how long were you actually out on this route yeah. and how many miles did you cover? 12 days. And I actually did not cover much distance at all. To be honest, I was climbing the entire time and I just took my time. It was the first time I did this and I wanted to film it. So I only went like something around 200 kilometers, I think, which is what 150 miles or not very much, to be honest. I don't know. Um, I was, I was worried about this interview because I know you were going to be talking about meters and kilometers. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think 200 is probably pretty close to 150 miles. Yeah. 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 Over 12 days. Yeah. It was somewhere around that, maybe 130 miles. And the, uh, it was 9,000 meters climbing, which is what, or 9,500 meters climbing, which is about six mile feet. That's 31,000 feet of climbing. And that was just like a lot of climbing for me too. I hadn't done that much. Um, yeah. So I think for me, 
when I think about it, I was just pushing up and and riding up a ton, you know, like I, there was hardly any downhills the whole time. And actually it would have been probably maybe around 200 miles if I had done the last final road on the way back into Lima, but it's just so busy highway that I was like, this is not worth it. I'm not, I've gotten chased by too many dogs and, and too many like big (laughs) trucks on this main major highway that it's not worth. I jumped in a truck and, and wrapped it right then and there. Yeah. So did you have a, did you have like, well, obviously at a beginning, but did you have an ending point or was it more of like a, I'm going to ride for 12 days and just see how far I get. Mm. Like what was your plan going in? So I, my goal was to make it to these three lakes, um, right near this tiny little settlement called Milk, M-I-L-L-O-C. Um, it's crazy. Like I'll just admit it, uh, that you go to Peru, there's street view like everywhere. It's crazy. Like you can drop that little man on Google and see what you're getting into uh, for the most part, even to the point where it's like, okay, I know this little refuge is up in there somewhere. Maybe I could crash there for a night if I really had to. Um, so you can actually plan pretty well for stuff like this. And, and this is kind of back to that backcountry backpacking and bow hunting stuff where it's like, in, in some ways that is harder, the, the, back, the backpacking stuff, because you just can't, you know, street view in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I, I, I think um, that was my goal. I'd seen these three lakes um, on there and I was looking, you know, I obsess over Google Earth and different things for the film perspective and for bikes and saw these three lakes and it looked attainable from, you know, how much time I had and how much I wanted to film and I knew it was going to take my time and I took a couple days off and, um, yeah. you know, I, especially going altitude too quickly, I was like not going to mess around with that. And, uh, what altitude are you at right now? Right now? I don't even uh, know. Or what, at what, yeah. What were you coming from? Well, Vancouver, yeah, I was coming from coast. So, you know, zero to 200 feet, like, yeah. Just okay. Yeah. You're the at the same elevation I am. Yeah. And what, and what is Peru? What elevation were you at there? Uh, so Peru was, I drove straight east to get in the mountains, jumped in an Uber van, believe it or not. Um, and started around 2000 or maybe around 1600 meters. I'm doing the math for you as you speak, peoples. Um, so around <laughs> 5,300 feet is where I started. Um, okay. And then the highest point I got to was 4,900, which was about 16,000 feet. Um, 16,000? Yeah, 16,000 feet. Yeah. Peru is crazy high, man. Wow. It's, it's, it yeah, blows that's my up mind. there. And it was funny because I was talking, and altitude definitely affected me. Like, you know, the reason why I was getting into some of these hailstorms is it would take me hours to set up stuff in the morning and filter water and get my stuff together. And um, on the bikepacking.com article, uh, Ryan Wilson commented on it. And and it was, fu- it was interesting hearing from him. And he just said, like, this is so identical to my first two weeks in Peru. It's like crazy. <laughs> you know, I was like, wow. wow, that's interesting to hear because he's so used to being at 5,000 or sorry, 16,000 feet Mm -hmm. nowadays. I mean, he was in the Andes for a year or more or whatever, right? Like it's just kind of what he knows and what he's comfortable at probably. Right. Not to make it, not that it was, not that it's easy, but I think for him, it's obviously become accustomed to it. But he recognized the challenge of it. Yeah. Uh, How much altitude training had you had coming into this? None. I don't think, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I was curious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a similar, I didn't go to, um, this past summer, we went to Colorado and my wife and I did a 
bikepacking trip. And I just didn't know how to, um, account for the elevation, you know, like I know what kind of mileage I can do per day, uh, in Texas at sea level, but I don't know once you get up into altitude and the altitude kicked my butt. We we got up to 11,200 feet and I was, I was on the struggle bus for a while until I finally like got over it, you know, but uh, I definitely sympathize. Like you just, unless you go out into altitude, you're not going to know uh, what it's like. And so it's one of those things where you just have to go and do it and see how your body reacts to it and, uh, kind of go from there. Yeah. You, you have to just react. I mean, that was one of my situations where I was pulled into a town called Wanza and the kind of the annoying thing about the route I was on, maybe this is a normal thing in Peru, but the main route I was on, which isn't a busy route by any means, but, um, all the towns you'd have to climb up another five, you know, whatever, whatever 200 meter is. I keep doing this math. 250 meters would be, you know, 820 feet. So every time you'd have to go climb up this extra 800 feet to go sleep at night at a village, if you wanted to, yeah. and you're like, at the end of the day, the last thing you want to do is go climb another 800 feet with a hundred pound object. Yeah. And, uh, there was times where I got up to those villages and the one time in Wanza, I was like, I'm taking a day off tomorrow. Like I just, I can't handle like <laughs> doing another big day tomorrow. It's not going to happen. Um, so I think for me, it was like rest days were pretty key. Um, and taking my time if I had to. And, you know, I think that's pretty important in altitude world. And I mean, technically from what I've read, which is always scary to read on what you should do, because, you know, it's like, yeah, you look at things and tells you not to do these things and how many things did you actually do that they recommend. But with (laughs) altitude, you know, they say you're supposed to be with someone else because you can see how they're reacting, see how they're changing and, you know, you can't really tell of yourself because you're adapting slowly. Um, so mm. I, I think altitudes, yeah, it's a little, you want to be careful with it. And obviously if you can try to see what those experiences, see how you react in that altitude before you go, or if you go, you know, go up, rest, take a day or two, get used to it, go up slow. I mean, the nice thing about bikepacking is if you're going up and it's, you know, you're having an issue, you can just get on your bike and go back down the way you came yeah. and just cruise down the mountain. If, I mean, if yeah. the worst came to worst, yeah. I feel like that's always an option. Yeah. How much time were you, uh, camping versus staying in a hostel mm-hmm. or a hotel, or I don't know what the accommodations are over there. I know in the video, mm-hmm. they didn't look awesome. One of them didn't have electricity. <laughs> yeah. One of them didn't have a toilet seat. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty normal there. I realized, um, a toilet seat is like a, it's so, I don't want to say it's a North American. I just got to tell you like, anec- anecdotally real yeah. quick. I watched that. Uh, I watched your yeah. film, uh, with my nine-year-old daughter, just like, I don't know, about an hour ago. Yeah. I, was, I was like, Hey, I'm about to interview this yeah. guy, you know? And, um, you were talking about her reactions. Like yeah. the biggest reaction she got was that toilet and sink <laughs> in that one hotel. No, cool. And she was just like, Ew, that's <laughs> gross. And I was just thinking, I'm like, man, we're so privileged, yeah. you know, like my daughter doesn't even know, like, that's like yeah. you were saying, that's common over yeah. there. You know, that's just yeah. the way that, that, they do that it yeah. is. So for sure. I think it's, uh, yeah. And I, I don't even know if there, they would say that this way here is better. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's just what they know. And, uh, you right. know, I, it's what I grew up with and what I would want if I had a choice. Um, but I, I, I think they, yeah. What was the balance? The balance was, I would say, let me think about that. Yeah. It was probably two nights camp versus one night village. So probably, yeah. Yeah. So 65% in camp and the other percentage yeah. in the village. 
That's a good ratio. I think so. It allows you to reload. It's a good ratio. Go back into town, get a bed. Totally. Kind of rejuvenate, get some real food, and then yeah. spend time out in the wilderness. It was cool. You were able to roll through some villages even in between that too, where you could still reload. Maybe you wouldn't sleep there, but you'd be able to you know, reload on your water especially. Um, and usually yeah. they'd have a hot lunch. There'd only be one menu item at one time of the day, but most of the time. Um, but they're, yeah, that was about the balance. And I, I think the, yeah, they weren't five-star accommodations. They call them from where I was in Peru, hospitize. Um, and that kind of meant like hostel or like rooms to stay. And there seemed to be even okay. like these small villages, like it always at least like two or three rooms. Um, they weren't always easy to find, um, just because the language barrier and, and, and trying to figure out exactly where those were. You can't just find that information online really. Um, right. But, uh, at least from my perspective and I, I think, I don't know, like they weren't five star, but I think they, all the people that were managing them or managing like 10 other things, I'm sure. Um, we're just like super friendly. Like I remember I went to the one in Wanza, which was the last village I stayed in. Um, you know, I was leaving and I was asking her how much I owed her. And she was like trying to get me not to pay her. And I just thought, I was like, <laughs> what? Like, how do I not, you know, like, you know, from the North American perspective, you don't have very much, you know? And meanwhile, she's telling me that I don't owe her anything. Like it kind of blew my mind, you know? And, uh, I of course left, you know, double what she had asked for under the under the sheets and Did she think you were homeless? <laughs> Maybe. Like I don't know. They really are wondering American. like what the heck this guy is doing with a bike with right. all this stuff and cameras in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't make it's any sense, a, really. Yeah, it's such a luxury, oh, right? Man. It's a it's a luxury thing that you want to go out to Peru and yeah. ride your bike and put yourself in like harsh environments. Totally. Like, doesn't make any what sense. What are you doing, man? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It it's so many so many tangents there. Like, I don't know. I, two things come to mind. I mean, especially, I just think there's such a, from what I've experienced, a correlation between like isolated places and generosity. Like same with Haida Gwaii, which is again in the Northwestern side of BC, you know, very isolated, not a ton of people around, you know, and you're in the middle of nowhere and you run into someone, they're like, yeah, take my boat for the weekend. Like, sure. Yeah, it's yours. Like, you know, here's my keys to my cabin <laughs> for three days. Like, you know, all, yeah. all these small places, there's, there's some, they got something figured out that we don't, um, or it should inspire us to give more when we see someone that needs something. And I hope that's the case. And I hope that, that I'm doing more of that when I come away from these things. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's pretty, that's pretty good. amazing. Yeah. If you're going to go over there, um, come back with some good experiences yeah. and learn, learn, Learn the good things anywhere you go, right? Yeah. We can always do better. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so let's talk about the dogs. Yeah, yeah, the dogs. You referenced the dogs twice yeah. on uh, on the video yeah. or the film. What was going on there? Man, they were so there was um, there was one section. So what I ended up doing is I took this this Uber van, like three hour drive east, all my stuff in there, stayed in like a spot for a night, and then I hit the same highway that I was talking about earlier that I could have ridden, ridden from way up higher when I finished kind of the three quarter lap that I had, um, the same highway. So super busy, full of trucks, full of dogs. Um, I realized I had to ride it for like 15, maybe like 10 miles 
to get to the start of the gravel, to the start of the gravel route that I wanted that has hardly anyone on it. And, uh, you know, as you're going through this main highway, you're running into these like tiny little towns every couple of miles. And there was one section in particular that I remember I was riding through it and like one dog started coming in at, at me on the right and then another one on the left and another one on the right. And there was like a sea, like of a dozen dogs just sprinting after me. And it's that moment where it was like terrifying, but I was also just laughing like this is ridiculous. <laughs> and then all the people started running after the dogs at the same time, uh. <laughs> like yelling at the dogs. And I, I was, it was so crazy, man. They're, they, I don't know. I think, I think the bike is just slow enough maybe that they can catch it or something, or you're you're on their turf or, um, I had a few close calls. Fortunately, never went down, never got bit. Um, for me, my best advice. So what did you try to do? Yeah. Were you trying to like outrun them no. or spray them with well, water bottles? Well, it's funny. I remember I read something that Ryan had said and he said, um, Ryan Wilson, he said, I just run, I just ride straight at them screaming on the top of my head <laughs> and hopefully I win. Um, but for me, what I started to do was actually not on that main road, but when I got to some of the smaller villages, I realized like, I'm actually going to get off the bike and walk for like one minute. And that seemed to work. Like they were just more tame. And mm-hmm. I think it was just this kind of object with that sound or something. And then, you know, then, yeah. then you like meet one in a village you know, 50 miles ahead of you. And it's like the cutest dog you ever met and you're in love again. So it was, it was definitely a roller coaster, but they, yeah, if you are really scared of dogs, then, then you'll be more scared of them in Peru. (laughs) That's good. Good info for my wife. She's absolutely (laughs) terrified of dogs. So that's like her biggest like hurdle to overcome. Anytime we go on any type of trip, she's like, all right, what, what kind of dogs can we expect? And so when, you know, you were planning, you're like looking at Google earth. The main thing I'm looking for is, the houses, the number of houses on the route. Cause that's how many dogs you're going to yeah, run into. But I find like the best thing is just to get off your bike and walk. Yeah. Exactly. Cause like, as soon as you do that, they don't, they don't know what to think. They might stand back and bark at you, but they're not chasing you anymore. You're not running away. So you're just walking. And then they kind of like just calm down and you can talk to them and you can squirt them with a water bottle if you need to. But yeah, walking is, is a good one, especially when you're bike packing and you got a hundred pounds of gear, like you're not going to outrun them unless you're on a downhill. Yeah. You might as well just, yeah. Totally, yeah. No, but that's why I was curious because on on the film, you were like out of breath oh, yeah. and I I, it was like I think you were trying to that was the run earlier method them. was to I think I filmed okay. something about like advice, but then that stuff typically never ends up in there because it's just like takes so long to describe. Um, so what right. you end up seeing is like moments like where I'm just exhausted, like trying to outrun this dog, and it just wasn't worth it. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to. All right, so let's talk about that shot my favorite shot was that morning of day two Mm. and it was almost like uh you didn't sleep there uh, type (laughs) situation i mean it's just so beautiful yeah yeah that was Um, a good spot well like i'd like to hear your experience actually being there and waking up to that Mm. um such a cool moment um yeah and for transparency i was on gaia gps g-a-i-a gps really good tool to plan and, and see your route and i had marked a pin on that area thinking like good place to camp question mark. And I pulled up to the spot and, um, and this was still a little bit into town. It still had like a little bit of the haze of Lima and the suburbs of Lima. Cause it was in the beginning at day two. Um, that's why one photo I have is a tent at night and it's like this golden glow of the, of the, of the, of night. And, and it's a golden glow from the, from the tiny little towns. 
Um, so you still got kind of this, uh, look like kind of smoky almost like kind of not so healthy looking. And, um, so it ended up being a good spot to camp. It was on a slope a little bit, but, um, crashed there and I didn't think much of it. I didn't think much of the spot. I thought, Oh, this is great. It's going to work out. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, couldn't really see anything around me and I crashed and, um, felt pretty good. Woke up in the morning and slept kind of average. And I just remember feeling like, all right, like let's, we're on day three. Like this is going okay so far, I guess. And mm-hmm. I just remember stepping out the tent and then just thinking, wow, like this is, this is why I'm here. This is, this is cool. And that classic yeah. kind of inversion of the clouds where you're just kind of above everything else. It's like the clouds just pushed all of that dirty air down. And then all that mm-hmm. was left was this kind of crystal clear Peruvian Andean kind of landscape. And it was super, super cool. And I, I remember, you know, I was, planning on getting off right away and I ended up spending like two hours there you know and eating and taking my time and soaking that in because man you don't get to experience that all the time um so that was pretty cool especially where I just couldn't see it the day before and I got there in daylight I just couldn't it was like so smoky that I didn't see any of it and woke up it was just that perfect contrast and there was many times in the film where that happened where I was like yeah this is cool like it's not maybe quite as scenic as I thought and then you know the next morning it blows you away or you get hailed on and then, you know, whatever next time it's like, whoa, I experienced this. I mean, the beginning of the film, you see hail, it's kind of like a preview of the film. And then it goes to that day two yeah. shot. But like other moments where like, I'm really sick and didn't get into the film and I had to crash on someone's floor. And the next day I'm just like, <laughs> see the, the lakes that I wanted to get to. And I'm just like laughing on the verge of tears, you know, like such a roller coaster for sure. Man, I, I love that shot. And that's one neat thing about being a photographer, filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And that's one area I'm, I'm always jealous of you guys is because like you experienced it, but you were also able to capture it in a way mm-hmm. that I think you'll be able to relive it yourself, but also like share that with other people and they can kind of get stoked on the idea of maybe riding their bike to a place like that and just setting up a, a, a tent in the middle of nowhere and being like surprised when you wake up in the morning and that's, that's waiting for you. Yeah. I want... I wanted to uh, get your perspective on like, how did the trip compare in reality to mm. what you thought it was going to be? Mm. Um, I think it was very different. I am a type of person that is stubborn many times and, or I get an idea in my head and I probably distort reality a bit and think it's going to be really easy or you see all these beautiful images and that's what you expect. Um, Mm. so I think going into it, that was my mindset. And, you know, I had done some crazy things. I'd been out in the wilderness for weeks at a time and, um, thought like, you know, like I've ridden a bike and I've backpacked, like I should be all right. Um, you know, and I got out perfectly fine more or less. And, but I, I just wasn't expecting it to be that hard. I, I wasn't expecting the altitude as we talked about before, just to be that brutal and to take that long. And I think I underestimated solo just carrying everything like you have to carry everything you can't partner on a tent you can't can't partner on your food you can't have one tripod for two people you know you're carrying everything um so that just weighing you down um yeah and just you know the food was pretty good but how your body reacts to that and you know we're so fortunate you know or no i think just wherever we live we're used to the food that we eat and you yeah. know, generally we're okay day to day. 
Um, but there it was seriously hitting me and I ended up taking Cipro, which is like a crap shoe. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I, pun intended, I ended up taking Cipro, which is like a pretty serious diarrhea drug. Um, um, I was wondering if diarrhea would make it in the podcast. Glad it did. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. So that, um, and that makes you even more dehydrated and you're already dehydrated from altitude and not drinking enough water and right. it's kind of a vicious cycle and. And so I dehydration is one of the more concerning aspects mm -hmm. of bikepacking whenever you're in a remote area, especially if water's limited. Oh yeah. But being dehydrated, I mean, you're exerting a lot of energy and you're uh, using a lot of water in that way. And then to be, um, having diarrhea on top of that is not a great combo. Yeah. I was, I was, you know, used to at home, like I'm drinking several liters a day. Um, so I'm used to drinking a ton and yeah, I just, I had a point near the end where I had to, it's not even in the film cause I just couldn't film it. I was feeling so sick where I had to crash, um, at a, these guys that worked on the water dam, I, that ran to Lima. It was just like little settlement. There's only two buildings. And, um, I went to one I, I, as I was rolling through, it was like, I can't sleep in another tent another night. I really like do not want to do that. And I saw like a gaucho, like a guy riding a horse way down, like herding some sheep around. And, um, I saw this old lady just kind of peer out of her door frame as I was rolling in and asked her if I could stay the night, like, Oh, solo piso, like only your floor. Like, just like, let me stay here. And it just like, looked at me puzzled and wasn't happy. I went to the second of two buildings and went to them and they looked at me puzzled and then like, yeah, okay. Like let me in. And I like was shivering all night and they set up mattress for me and whatever, which was awesome. And I, that was a pretty timely, oh, wow timely thing and that would have been super cool to film i did actually get a couple shots but it was just like okay i put the camera down and just like take care of your body so were you you dealing like food poisoning or just the food wasn't settling i don't know what the right word is i don't know if it's food poisoning or yeah how my body was reacting to what i was eating you know i think i was mostly eating soups that i think from my knowledge are generally pretty safe because they're boiled um but uh i think it was like a pasta or something maybe in Wanza that I don't know, potentially had tomatoes in it or maybe something that was washed with hmm. water that wasn't uh, the water that I was normally drinking that was filtered. So that could have been right. it or something like that. And that kind of just put me over top and obviously led to the other moment. Um, of the yeah, surprise. it's tough in those situations when you're putting your body in um, unusual and new situations. Yeah. Like you have dehydration, you have altitude, you're, you know, yeah. pushing your body physically in ways that you never have. Yeah. And then you're eating food and drinking water that your body. So, I mean, there's a lot oh, of yeah. stuff going on there. So it's just like, yeah, there's something that probably people need to be aware of. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, you, you probably didn't think about that going into it no. or maybe you did the food and how I'd react to it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really, just how your body would react to the whole experience in general. Yeah. I mean a little bit, maybe altitude. I was thinking about a little bit, but yeah, I, I didn't, I definitely did not think about it enough, um, or like take it seriously enough, I think. Yeah. yeah. I always pack a modium. Yeah. Always oh, pack yeah. a modium. The whole, the whole kit of drugs for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty helpful. All right. So actually, um, I got another question from one of my patrons, hmm. patrons. I don't know. I still don't know how to say that. <laughs> it's the website is Patreon, but yeah. the supporters are patrons. Ah, uh, so this, this one's from Daniel yeah. hmm. and it, and it's kind of a, 
in the same vein, but he, he was asking, how did you deal with being alone on your first bikepacking trip? Hmm. Um, hmm. Alone in the sense of, I wonder like mentally or physical or both. I, I guess I was thinking on the mental side, yeah. you know, I mean, just to be out in a remote wilderness hmm. by yourself, having to carry everything that you need. I mean, hmm. I mean, I, I think there's a lot there, right? Hmm. It's like, how are you, was it stressful? Was it scary? Hmm. How are you entertaining yourself? Were you bored? You know, all those kinds of things. Yeah. I think for me, I enjoy riding with other people, but I also really enjoy riding by myself. Um, even like gravel riding around where I'm at here, um, or road riding or whatever it is. I, I do enjoy riding on my own. It's not 12 days on my own, which is a bit different. Um, so I do enjoy that. I do enjoy the quiet. I do enjoy having my own thoughts for a moment. Um, but obviously Prue on, on the extreme end, um, yeah, I think it was an extension of that. Um, and I kind of have this, it's going to sound a little bit lofty, but one thing I've experienced in my backpacking trips in isolation is this, these times where you're just gone from civilization so long that you, you enter this kind of different state of mind, which is kind of interesting. You remember like memories from way back cause you haven't been watching TV for a week, you know, or like, mm -hmm. I think there's something pretty cool about that. And I, I think I crave those experiences. Um, yeah, and I think there are, I mean, there are definitely days that are hard. I think it's a roller coaster. If you haven't seen um, Ben Page did a film called Frozen Road, which has very similar, yeah. I think, lessons. And I, as soon as I watched it, I was like, wow, this is like exactly what I was feeling. Um, that was another great film. Oh, such a good film. He's doing, yeah, that guy's doing awesome stuff. Um, but I think at some point he... It was right when he got caught in the Peel River and had some close calls. He was talking about just like, you know, you're either like pure elation or like excitement or on top of the world or you're just like super depressed. <laughs> it's definitely like a up and down. And just like you do crave sometimes that other people could experience what you're seeing. Um, but uh, I think for me, I'm pretty comfortable being alone and and you know, sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not. I think everyone's a little bit different there. Um, so solo, solo bikepacking might not be for everyone. Um, but right. I think that helped me maybe. Um, and just my own, like, you know, not realizing all the challenges and just kind of jumping in and doing it. And then I just had, <laughs> Your own ignorance. yeah, my own ignorance. That's the word I was looking for. And, uh, <laughs> and just kind of for better, for worse would get through it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that really answered the question, but that's kind of what's rolling in. Yeah, yeah. Was there ever a time where you were, uh, where you legitimately were scared, whether like whether just in a in a in a mm. crazy situation where you were like, shit, I'm really in it now. Mm. Um, yeah, I think. Well, it was one moment in the film where I kind of stayed in the tent for a day. I was shivering and not super warm. There was that moment, but I think staying. I mentioned a little story earlier on um, just about staying on these guys' floor. I was a little bit worried that evening about potentially setting up a tent again in the rain. Um, I think at that moment I was I was a little bit worried. I think I was a little 
scared, I guess you could say. I, I mean, I was, I don't think I was scared for my life at that point, but I was, I was definitely questioning what I was doing and wondering <laughs> like, why am I here and what am I doing here? Um, and I, I, the guys that yeah. house you're staying at were probably wondering the same oh, thing. Oh, hundred percent. We're definitely wondering the same thing. They're like, so you're going to go over uh, here tomorrow and do what? Like, well, you know, I still, you know, I, I knew a very tiny amount of Spanish, um, enough to know that they were a little bit baffled. Um, but that night was huge for me cause I got to reload and drink a ton of water and like sleep on a mattress on the floor next to a heater, you know? Um, so that right. was pretty clutch for me. If I didn't have that, I think I would have been okay, but I maybe would have, you know, not made my goal or, uh, turned around and Peru is, 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 you know, it, you know, a lot of the shots look like they're in the middle of nowhere and they are, but there's, you know, there's mining and there's, uh, uh, projects for the water dam that runs to Lima and all these different things going on. So there are a decent amount of villages you can roll through. Um, so you, you don't necessarily always feel like you're way, way out there, not from like the backpacking perspective of being like completely in the wilderness. Um, and then I always travel with like a two way satellite communicator, um, for something like yeah. that, just in case you do have an emergency or, you know, most of those guys these days will pair with like a Bluetooth, you know, iPhone or smartphone so you can still chat and stuff. Yeah. I think that's important to mention, mention if you're a beginner or solo, like have an exit strategy yeah. of some sort, a sat phone or mm -hmm. uh, a spot tracker. I mean, something where you can call in the cavalry cause you can wreck things go wrong, you totally. know? And so I think, I think that's, I've thought a lot about advising beginner bike packers on, you know, just advice. Like yeah. what do you need? The, the main thing is like food and water shelter and uh, an exit strategy, yeah. like some way to call somebody or yeah, have, have a button you can push and it'll cavalry will come and save you. Um, yeah, just, I mean, safety, totally safety third, right? Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> those are good things to mention. I mean, we, yeah, you something like that. You need to be prepared and, and there's some tricks Great that aren't as gnarly and, you know, you can always access something really quickly and other ones not so much. So. It's important to be, be safe. Yeah. All right. So for your film, mm -hmm. like, I don't even know how to ask the question because I don't know enough about your world, mm -hmm. the film, but what, what is, what's your goal with the film mm -hmm. and what, what is like, what makes it successful, mm -hmm. right? Like there's not a Grammys or Emmys or whatever it is for bikepacking films that I'm aware of. So like, mm -hmm. yeah, what, what's the goal with the film? It's hmm. a good question. I think for me and I, you know, I came out of a design school background and I just remember going through all these critical design courses and it was all about consumerism and, you know, how that would be good or not good or bad or whatever. And I think there was a time where I, I went through this time where it's like, I don't know if I want to share my stuff and like, you know, get all these likes and views and kind of enter that world. And um, I think I just kind of came to a realization is, is if I'm passionate about what I'm doing and creating stories that I think are interesting and meaningful and people are going to find interesting and it can inspire people to get outside. Um, and I think that's a big goal with any outdoor stuff that we do. I think the ultimate comment for me is like, Hey, you inspired me to get my bike today, or you inspired me to go on my first bike pack, or you inspired me to go do an overnight with my backpack, you know, I, I think those are, I think probably the biggest high level goals, um, are just inspiring people to do that stuff. It sounds kind of cheesy, but I think 
that that is really the big part of it. And if that was, if that didn't exist or that wasn't connecting, then, um, it'd be harder to do what I do. That's for sure. Um, and I think, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that is a big part of it. Um, I'm also really excited about these new thoughts about like showing the ugly stuff and it's like, shouldn't be new thoughts. It's just like so caught into the film world of like how everything has to be beautiful. Um, so I'm excited that that's connecting and that people are reacting that way. And I think that's a goal of mine to communicate that not everything is perfect on these adventure trips and try to communicate hopefully something that is more real. Um, there's lots of parts of the film that aren't real. I'm setting this thing up on a tripod and recording and I want to get this hail shot because I think <laughs> it would be crazy and whatever. And, you know, I think there is always some movie magic, you know, did the on day seven, did I do this first or that first? Like, you know, like I think, um, I think that there's, yeah, it's just, it's exciting that people are connecting with that way. And I think for something like this, that was mostly a passion project. I think it's exciting to see more and more people pick it up and more and more people seeing it. Um, simply because I think it is an interesting story. Um, just in the sense that, especially that I'm, someone that didn't have any experience doing something in a place that I probably shouldn't have been in. Um, or maybe that was, well, a, then, you know, I, I think that's something that I'm excited to see that people are connecting with it and sharing with it because they, they think it's interesting. I think it comes around full circle. Like if you create a film that is authentic to you and to your experience mm-hmm. and it shows the good, the bad and the ugly, mm-hmm. um, and then people reson that resonates with people, then that for you probably has more of an impact because you know that they're resonating with something that really happened to you. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just resonating with a super beautiful, Mm -hmm. everything was rosy type thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's more of an authentic, uh, more authentic to yourself and your experience that they're reacting to. Totally. I'm kind of putting my words in your mouth, but I'm, I'm thinking about like just personal experience with the podcast I mean, I, I feel cheesy too saying it, Mm -hmm. I guess, like, but I get messages from people who say that they were inspired Mm -hmm. to go ride their bike or do their first bike packing trip. I mean the same. And like, it's there, the, the elation that you feel that someone is taking something that you put out there Mm -hmm. and they're using that as inspiration to go get on their bike and go outside and go experience something. Um, I, it just like, it doesn't get better than that. I don't think, Yeah, you know, I mean that that's the pinnacle for me and it sounds like, uh, the same for you, you know? And then, and then, like I said, like whenever they're connecting with it on a real level, um, then it's even that more meaningful. Yeah. I think it's like, it's like a dangerous, well, no, I agree. That's like really exciting. And that's a big reason why we do it. I think it's, it's a dangerous place to be in a filmmaker because you know you capture all this stuff and you can choose the story that you're sharing ultimately um yeah and there's a responsibility there to if you share just the perfect moments and you don't share some of the struggles or you don't share hey be safe or you know you don't share those things then someone might go out there and not be prepared for something and you're putting someone in a bad position um right you know so i think it becomes even more important sometimes to share the actual experience, especially if someone's going to go out and do that thing and thousands of people are watching this thing, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. You want to have eyes open a little bit. Yeah. But I love what you said at the end of the film 
if I can do it, anybody <laughs> can do it. I think, is that right? Yeah. yeah. You got it. Yeah. I, 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 I love, I really wanted to get that into the main part of the film. It's just such a long story. Cause I, I just wanted to make it clear. Like I really don't, I mean, yes, I know I, I don't, I don't have the bikepacking experience. I do have a lot of other experiences in other ways that benefited mm-hmm. me on this trip, but like right. what kind of tires I was running and like tubeless and all this stuff. Like I really did not know a lot of those things. I still don't. Right. And I don't pretend to. Um, and I just wanted to make that clear in the credits and that little sequence was that like, Hey, like I put my bike on this cactus. Like, obviously that's a big no, no with <laughs> tires that have air in them. Um, you know, like, I mean, maybe that's just me being clumsy and other people would do that if they knew bike stuff about bikes. But I think I just yeah. went on a trip in the desert. Um, and it was, it was with Jared Foster's adventure media oh, yeah. class. So some so new cool. were into the bike packing realm and also videographers and photographers like you. Um, but yeah, I saw some people leaning their bikes on cactuses and stuff and you're like, no, you don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So you're not, you're not alone, man. You're not alone. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good. Man. Man, That, 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 uh, class, man, how cool would that be to be in that class, man? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're the, you're the exact target market for a class (laughs) like that. I mean, what he's doing is, is like giving, I mean, you're the perfect person. Mm. You want to make, uh, videos and and film Mm. about or film about um adventures Mm. and and you know bike packing Mm. and just going outside i'm sure you there's a a big scope there for you Mm. but like he's doing it it's he just it's not like this is how you do it he's taking them on bikes and we were out in the wilderness well we were out in the desert and for five days and they were carrying all their camera gear and taking shots and making videos of of the experience. And, um, I mean, there it's, it's like real world. This is how you do it. If you want to be an adventure photographer or filmmaker, yeah. Okay, let's go. This is what you got to do. You got to learn how to set up your tent and pack your bike and get good shots Mm -hmm. and hydrate. And I mean, you got to do it all, you know? So you're just kind of learning on the fly. I loved what he said. I think something about, or you said, or he said it, something about, you know, you're going to be in positions shooting adventure stuff where you're going to be miserable. You're going to be, you're going to have a headache. You're going to be sweating. You haven't eaten all day and you're going to be expected to perform and do things, you know, like, yeah. and what a good experience for those kids to experience some of that before they get into that world. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a great experience on a lot of levels, one from a professional, but then also just a life experience to go out there and realize that, I mean, you can carry everything on your bike, and you can survive in the most remote and rugged parts of the world mm-hmm. and you're going to be fine. Like that's a very empowering feeling to have that you can take with you and apply it in all different areas of your life. Mm-hmm. Totally. So let's, uh, what, what's next for you mm. specifically with the, the bike packing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this film from my perspective and it sounds like from yours as well, that it's been successful. It's been well received mm. and, uh, it's really resonated with people. So mm-hmm. are you already percolating some more ideas? Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely percolating ideas. I mean, now it's just like the challenge of executing on, on whatever's rolling around in my head these days. Um, I think a couple things going on. Um, we have a unrelated shoot in Vietnam as of this Sunday. Um, so I got a few extra days there that I'm hopefully going to do a little bit of filming out there on the bike, but Nothing significant 
but uh, we're trying to get to Taiwan in July for at least a week um, to do some stuff out there. Um, and I've just been starting to look at it more. There's some really, you know, to be honest, for me, I think of Taiwan, I think of that's where a bike is manufactured, not where people are riding bikes. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, I've just been looking it up and there's some crazy cool stuff there, you know, from Hawaiian beautiful coastline looks to, you know, steep, snowy mountains to tunnels to crazy, crazy, crazy packed cities to, um, so I'm pretty excited about that right now. So putting some plans in for that for July. Um, so starting to think on that, uh, really want to try to do some stuff in the Rockies probably in September. Um, that one's a little bit more half baked. Um, and then next year, one thing we're talking about and have been, uh, really chatting about is this canal trail c-a-n-o-l trail in northwest territories um you've heard of it i've heard of that yeah and i think it's been bike packed once or twice um but it's just it's in the middle that's like it's like a huge not a huge like well no it's a huge endeavor like there's you know it's two or three (laughs) weeks um a day or two of travel on either end at least um and just super rugged, you know, multiple river crossings, some pretty serious, um, some bushwhacking, some hiking, some riding, you know, wild animals. I think there's like one outfitter that's sort of on the way that I have a someone that I know through it, which is kind of interesting. Um, so I, I that that could be pretty crazy, but that's for next year. So, yeah, there's a couple things rolling around. Um, and then yeah. in Kamloops, um, where I'm splitting time right now just starting to think on some, some overnighters and maybe some two or three night trips and see what we can do with that around British Columbia, which has a very diverse kind of terrain of things that you can do. So yeah, that's kind of, yeah, I'm glad you're not, you're not, uh, scared off from bike packing and, uh, we get to hopefully see some more films, uh, coming out, uh, that we can, we can relate to and we can resonate with. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, man, I thank you so much for, uh, Mm. for coming on as soon as I saw your film, I, I was like, dude, I want to interview this guy mm. because j- for all the reasons, like I said, like, uh, you're helping to break down that stereotype that mm. you have to be like a badass athlete or mm. be like, you know, whatever it is, the most advanced bike packer or whatever. Like mm. you don't, you don't need to, you can just get on your bike, get on Google maps, look at street view and put mm-hmm. some things together and and go have an adventure, man. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're the perfect person to do a uh to beta test this uh over Vimeo or what are we on? Uh Skype. Yeah. Uh I've been having this idea where cuz you know, if I'm interviewing people in North America, it's it's relatively easy to see them face to face. But one thing I never accounted for whenever I started a podcast was that there's going to be people in Canada or the UK <laughs> and that are like listening and i'm like oh man there's a bigger audience there and you know there's great stories everywhere and so Mm. i wanted to find a way to to interview people that weren't in the united states and so i think this might work out (laughs) yeah no i uh matt it's it's cool i'm happy to be your first canadian uh representative i hope i represented my country well (laughs) and uh I do have dual citizenship. Yeah, I wish I knew a Canadian <laughs> phrase to throw in there. A buddy yeah. or something. Oh, I'm sure I threw <laughs> a couple terrible. in there. Sometimes I speak a whole nother language and you're like, what are people, what is he saying? No, you did pretty well, yeah. actually. <laughs> I don't know. 
So uh, I, I was waiting to make fun of you, but you never really gave me a good opportunity. So now's your time. Yeah, <laughs> you kept it together. I didn't say y'all. <laughs> no, you did so good, man. I actually, man, no. Hey, I, uh, I just, so if people yeah. want to like, oh, sorry. Well, I just wanted to thank you for having me on too. I think, uh, as I said before, it was this is so needed, man. Like people are just wanting to hear more and wanting to tune yeah. into something in their cars and while they're, you know, while they're striking away at their spreadsheets. So. Um, I, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you putting the effort in to do this stuff. I know it doesn't, I know it takes time to do coming from the film world. It, it takes time and there's time that you don't yeah. expect that goes into it. So thank you for putting this effort. I oh, appreciate to put this it, man. Out. Yeah. I'm finding a, there is a larger demand for this type of content yeah. than I had any idea, which is great. I'm glad there's, there's so many people out there that are, that are interested in this kind of stuff. So we'll keep it going. Thank you. If people want to like, Let's say there's someone listening and they want to hire you to create a film. How do they how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, you can just uh, email me at Ben. Um, so it's Ben as in Benjamin, Ben at johnsonstudios.co, not .com, which I kind of regretted now. But uh, Ben Johnson is a very common name, so domains are hard to find. So Ben at yeah, Johnson, no J-O-H-N-S-O-N, studios.co co or just jump on our site johnsonstudios.co or um our instagram that's more outdoor related which is outside and seek thanks for coming on thanks dude appreciate it all right all right hope y'all enjoyed that one uh benjamin was a great uh guest and i appreciate that he was willing to be the guinea pig on a new way of recording the show i think it turned out great uh so look forward to more of those in the future um all right, one more time. If you want to support the show and help it grow, please head over to Patreon. You can find me there at Bikes for Death. Those contributions literally go directly to helping the show and helping me justify all the time that I spend and money. Uh, and if you want to support the show, show further, uh, head over to iTunes. That's where you leave a five-star review and you let everybody know what a great show it is and how much you love it. And that helps other people find the show as well. If you want to reach out and connect with me for any reason, whether it's to leave comments, criticism, or praise, lots of praise, you can find me at Facebook or Instagram at Bikes or Death, um, or you can just shoot me an email. My email is bikes at bikes or death. All right, all right, that's it. Now go ride your damn bike. Hey.